This is the PMP Industry Insider Podcast. Hello, everyone. Welcome out to another episode of the PMP Industry Insider Podcast, where we look at what is changing in the industry and we take you to the front lines to those that are driving those changes. As always, should we surprise people? Like we should have different guests or like, you know, not guests, but hosts, right? So my name is Donnie Shelton, as usual, Triangle Home Services, Cole March. I'm not going to run through that whole bit. Dan, why don't you fill up all that hot air that I typically fill up talking about myself? What do you got? You want me to talk about you? <laughs> you see, that's a nice little flip. Why don't you talk uh, about all right. No, I don't want you to talk about me. Hello, everyone. Dan Gordon, PCO Bookkeepers, PCO m a Specialists. Um, we, uh, are here talking, we, we've got a terrific get, we, we scored big today. We got a huge one. Uh, this is, um, somebody that I've gotten to know over the past year or so, who, uh, we've done several deals with. He is the, uh, VP of mergers and acquisitions at Antisemex. And, um, his name is Sebastian Tomasoni. And, um, I'm really excited to, to, to have him here because we've, we've done so many deals with him and, and really, uh, you know, uh, it, it, Sebastian is a great negotiator. Um, when when things get heated, he's very calm, and uh, and and I like that very much about him. And um, we're going to talk today about uh, M and A and uh, M and A in the pest control industry. And uh, so, welcome, Sebastian. Hey, well, uh, thanks, guys. Pleasure to be here, and uh, you know, really appreciate the invitation, and and looking forward to to the discussion today. Well, before we get into this, I have to, I got to comment a little bit on what you just said that Dan, you said we got a big one, almost like we like we're fishing or something, you know what I mean? Fish. Which I would agree, Sebastian, I don't know if I'd call him a big one. I would say he's, he's fantastic, fantastic right. guest. I mean, because otherwise it could be like, you know, we're catfishing, you know what I'm saying, which has mm-hmm. a lot of connotations there. And we wouldn't want to be accused of catfishing on the mm-hmm. podcast. So, yeah. So, yeah. Anyway. <laughs> so, uh, <laughs> <laughs> That's good. Sorry, we're going to go 40 minutes and we're going to, we're going to get this thing going. So, uh, Hey, Sebastian, how about a, a rundown of your background? How'd you get to where you are? Um, you know, what, where did you go to school and, uh, you know, after school, where, where, where'd you work and how'd you end up at Antisemics? Yeah. Yeah. Happy to cover that. So, you know, I'll, I'll, maybe I'll get started way back when, and, and then, uh, and then I'll I'll kind of round it out on on how I got to AX and and kind of what uh what what led me to that decision. So um, as you know, Dan, I uh, I got my undergrad at, at Virginia Tech uh, at uh, where your son's at currently. So spent four years in Blacksburg um, and then started my career uh, shortly after that in consulting, working for Booz Allen uh, in the nation's capital. Uh, and you know loved it, enjoyed it, uh, met a lot of good people, but. Uh, for whatever reason, always wanted to be in finance. And um, so within within four years of getting out of Virginia Tech, made the decision to go back to school, triple my my debt uh, uh, to get my to get my MBA, um, which at the time was daunting. But but in hindsight, I, I think it was a good decision. Um, so coming out of grad school, that's when I kind of kicked off my finance career, uh, started first in the investment banking space. Um, uh, working first at Bank of America, Merrill Lynch, and then Lazard. So spent five years in that space, first in the uh, capital markets arena, 
for about 10 to 12 months. And then the last four uh, within the banking space, I was in that. That's kind of when I kickstarted my my mergers and acquisitions career uh, on the sell side, uh, similar to, to what you do now, Dan, with uh, with PCO. At that time, I covered consumer products in the retail industry. Um, and again, just really enjoyed it, cut my teeth on finance and, uh, you know, eventually, um, you know, realized that uh, working 80 hour weeks, uh, which turned into 20, 20 hours, uh, $20 an hour uh, wasn't, wasn't a big return on investment. So um, decided to make the transition and move over to the buy side. So the last, I'd call it seven years, I've been working for a few different companies uh, on buy side M&A, most recently with a company called Schindler Elevator Corp, uh, which is a Swiss company that manufactures and services elevators uh, on a global basis. I was leading their uh, North America acquisition efforts, now, very similar to, to what we'll get into later today, but very similar strategy to AX where they were looking to enter new markets, build density in their core markets, all, all through M&A. Um, and so that was a great experience. And then, you know, it was really the right timing for, for me to come over to AX. I was in a good spot at Schindler, doing some good things. Company was growing. We were doing a lot of acquisitions um, and things were, were at a good pace uh, when our, uh, our um, North America president that, that departed last year, Michael Vanier, came knocking and presented an opportunity to come over to anti cmex at that point they had been in the country for six years built a nice nice business um on the east coast and, and a little bit on the west and you know the opportunity was to come in and, and kind of take the company to the next level in terms of their growth strategy um with a big focus on m a big roll-up strategy here in the u.s and so like anyone else i, I did my research learned a little bit about the space all the opportunity, the margins, um, and and kind of took a leap of faith. You know, I I never expected in my career that that I would uh, come over to the pest control space, but I'm glad that I did. I'm a year into the uh, into the job, I've met a ton of great people, uh, and and really enjoying it. Um, so uh, that that I think brings us to uh, to current. Uh, one of the, uh, the, the speaking of stories. So, so a lot of times during due diligence, we get on these uh, Zoom calls, and you know, it's it's me and you know my team and Sebastian and his team and maybe the buy or the the seller and whatnot, and uh, we're having this conversation. So my son is at Virginia Tech. My daughter went to Georgia Tech. And I had a Georgia Tech shirt on and all of this high level discussion around this deal was going on. And I keep getting texts about how I had the wrong shirt on. So uh, that was, uh, you know, I think I, I think, Dan, you, you do it on purpose to rattle me sometimes in, in those discussions. <laughs> I think I think it works every now and then. So you keep doing it. <laughs> so, <laughs> So, so Anacemex has become one of the largest pest control companies in the U.S. And um, correct me if I'm wrong, if if the Terminex deal goes through this year, next year, you guys should be number two or three, right? Um, you know, maybe Ecolab, they're not a, a pure pest play. But, uh, I mean, how have you done it? When, you know, uh, um, how many acquisitions have you done? And um, 
you know, when did you, I know that the first acquisition that you did was, um, you know, Bug Doctor up in New Jersey, and then it, it's it spread from there. So, so tell us a little bit about that. Yeah, no, great question. So listen, the, the level of growth, you're right, over the last several years has, has been quite staggering. Um, here in the U.S., we've, you know, we've been hard at work on, on both, both organic growth and acquisitions. And when you look at our acquisitions, it, it's quite impressive what we've been able to do over the last five, six years since we entered the market in 2016. Um, my predecessor, Mike Schmidt, his team and, and the leadership at that time, you know, I got to give them a lot of credit because they kind of laid out the, the building blocks and the foundation, put up some, some pretty critical flags and key markets that we're currently in um, throughout the acquisition journey that now we have, you know, we have a really uh, nice playbook to continue in that trajectory. It's opened up the acquisition universe of targets for us and, out, and allowed us to play in, in much larger geographical footprint. Um, you know, since 2016, I think you asked how many acquisitions have we done? We've surpassed the 80 acquisition mark in over the last six years. Um, last year, we had, a, we had a great year. We did uh, uh, just north of 25 acquisitions, uh, you know, throughout our footprint and, and also added uh, three new platforms. Uh, and so we're, you know, we're still focused on acquisitions going forward. It's a big part of our strategy. It's a big pillar of, of our growth. Um, and so we, we expect to continue to, uh, to do more acquisition and acquisitions in years to come. So let's, let's flip this around to, okay, I'm a listener and I'm listening. Um, first of all, I'm listening to Austin Van Gordon. And then obviously we're, we're listening to you, Sebastian, which doesn't insinuate that you're less awesome, but, and, you know, I'm sitting here, I'm listening to these guys and listening to this conversation and, <clears throat> You know, what are the characteristics, you know, you guys are anti-CMX, you're, you're out and you're looking for potential acquisitions. I'm kind of getting close. I've got maybe a five-year timeline or I've got a three-year timeline. Um, what are some things, and we've asked this question a few times, but I, I want to hear your perspective on this. What are some characteristics that you guys look for in a potential acquisition? Yeah, good, good question, Donnie. I mean, it, it, it's a hard one to answer, right? Because there's, you know, we're, you know, in the U.S., as you guys know, it's, it's a fragmented space. There's a lot of opportunity out there. Um, you know, a lot, a lot of owners doing things a little bit differently. And so I think, you know, the, the, the trick in this space is, is to be, you know, obviously, you, 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 you have things you look for. But you've got to be a little bit flexible deal to deal and, and, and try to understand, you know, what's, what's the value proposition of this business and, 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 you know, how does it fit? How does it fit into our organization? Now, the other thing I would say is it depends on the market uh, and it depends on, on, on our platform. Right. And so a good example I would say is, you know, as we've, as we've expanded out West into California and Arizona and, and Denver, you know, it, it's very difficult to benchmark, ta benchmark targets out there versus, you know, say, uh, uh, acquisitions we find in the New Jersey market, right? It's just, it's just a completely different market. And so that's where that flexibility comes in to, to try to understand a new market as you get in there. Um, and, and kind of how, how things are done there, you know, to give you, to give you a few examples, we, we look at a bunch of things. I'd say when we're assessing a business, obviously the financial picture is always front and center for us. Um, is a business growing? What do the margins look like? 
are they paying attention to price increases and retention? You know, those those type of those type of KPIs. And also, I would say, have they evolved with the with the times? Right. I mean, pest control is an industry that is is slow to change. Um, and so, you know, are, are are they running the business like it's still 1995? And these are all things we focus on. And and a business for us doesn't necessarily need to check every box, but we tend to be selective and looking for good assets. Um, the other piece that the other piece you guys hearing an echo? I'm hearing an echo. I'm not sure. The other, piece, the other piece that we spend a lot of time uh, talking about is the people side of the business, right? And so, you know, we understand that we're not just out there buying customer lists. And so, with our growth at the speed that we're going at um, in our trajectory here in the U.S., we're always looking for talent. So that's a big piece for us uh, when we look at potential opportunities to make sure we are getting the we are getting the people that are driving the business. Um, cause we know the KPIs don't, don't generate themselves. Gotcha. Question for you on, um, looking for the geography. So do you have a map with a bunch of push pins in it or, you know, if some great platform came up in, you know, an area that you're not in like Chicago or something, it, you know, because there aren't a, a lot of platform companies out there you know what is what is the strategy in terms of geography do you, do you uh have you cho chosen the uh the territory first or are you just looking for good companies that could play the role of a uh of a platform you know D dan i still have the push pin map on my to-do list from when i first started given uh given how much geographical air we cover so i don't have the map yet but it's uh it, it's shortly coming for sure but listen, we um, let me let me try to address your question in two pieces. One, focusing high level on our strategy, and then honing in on on a little bit on the M and A piece in terms of new new territories and and where we're looking and and where we're we're thinking it's best to next take the business. Um, in the U.S., we've we've been on as I mentioned earlier, we've been on this great growth trajectory. And, and we expect more of the same going forward. You know, the good thing for us in, in EQT reinvesting last year is that when it comes to, to the strategy and the vision, you know, we've got continuity and consistency on our side in terms of what's worked in the past and what will continue to work going forward. Now, obviously, we continue to evolve and, and shape the business um, with, with, you know, every new challenge that we face as we get bigger and bigger. But by and large, it's it's you know the strategy for us hasn't changed uh our long-term plan here in the u.s is to be a billion dollar business um and you know for us it, it, it's not necessarily hitting that number or being the biggest uh, pest control provider in the u.s but it's also it, it's more about driving within our organization the need to be customer centric um so that we can continue to deliver outstanding customer experience. We recognize that if the customer is happy, everything else falls into place, right? And so ob obviously we manage the KPIs like every, every other business out there, but we really wanna be the leading provider uh, and, and, and provider of choice uh, for customers here in the US, and then everything else will fall into place. 
on the M&A piece, you know, that's also evolved over time. As you know, Dan and, and Donnie, in the recent years, we were more focused on building out our presence in the East Coast. Um, and then over time, you know, going to late 2020, uh, we put up some some pretty critical flags on the West Coast to start to, to, to drive our expansion um, in that region. Um, when you look at our footprint, we've got full coverage from Maine down to Florida, and we'll continue to look at opportunities within our existing markets because we we know that that density is the the biggest ROI on an investment, and so we'll continue to do that. And and there's also some white space opportunities within our platforms that we wanna we wanna take a look at. And then as far as new markets. You know, we we're always doing our, you know, always doing our research and and kind of seeing where do we want to go next. I would say at the top of the list, you know, Texas, the Midwest, the Pacific Northwest, those are all territories we like. They kind of meet the same characteristics of as as kind of where where we've already expanded into in our current platforms. Um, and so we we like those markets, and we're you know we're always looking to see uh, what's the next opportunity there and how, how we can get a foot into, into each of those. So I have a question. Let's just say um, <clears throat> to you guys, like how much is the size of the business? Like how much does that play into a potential target and, and like how aggressive you would be on them? And like, you, Dan and I have talked about this in the past on the podcast. You know, sometimes you have folks who may have a business doing three or five hundred thousand, and and they think, oh wow, you know, I'm going to get top multiple <laughs> for this business. And by the way, if you're that size, I'm not making fun of you. So go ahead and send the shade and the hate mail. But it's really, you know, expectations of, well, yeah, you know, you have a valuable business. However integrating you is probably going to be just as much difficult or as difficult as integrating a much larger business. And so I, I guess the, the question I have, and is there kind of a baseline, like, you know, we're not super interested in sizes lower than this. And I, and I know that everyone's going to say, well, we're interested in talking to everyone, but what would be say a good entry level to, for someone that you guys would be targeting or would be interested in? Yeah, Donnie. So we 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 talk about this all the time, right? Internally, and and again, I you know the answer depends. Um, we've done our fair share of of sub one million dollar transactions and in, in revenue, and then all the way up to you know the ten platforms that that we've acquired over the last several years. So it's quite a range. But at the end of the day, I would tell you that you know as we've gotten bigger, um, we tend to focus on deals that can move the needle for us. Um, however, we recognize uh, throughout our footprint, there are several branches that, for instance, um, could use a route or two or three um, because they've struggled to scale the business business organically uh, or they just haven't found the right acquisition to layer in. And so, um, you know, to give you an example, last year, we uh, did an acquisition in uh, a couple acquisitions smaller acquisitions in Orlando where, you know, we had some legacy accounts from an, an older acquisition that where Orlando wasn't the core market. And so we were 
it was a branch that wasn't performing, was subscale, um, had all kinds of challenges on it. And, you know, all of a sudden with a few smaller acquisitions, we were able to pull them out of the mud, get them to where they needed to be in terms of the, you know, the financial picture, the margin. Um, and and it, was a, it, it was a big morale booster as well for that branch. And, you know, fast forward 12 months, um, we're now looking at, you know, that, that those were kind of stepping stones that we needed to now look at more sizable transactions in that market. So it, it's really all, all of the above, but w- with a very, um, w- with a much deeper focus now on, on more sizable transactions and just opportunistic where we need them on the smaller ones. If I had to translate what you just said, it, it sounds like, okay, if we have a platform company in the area, great. We wouldn't necessarily open a market with a super small train. Is that, is that a better way? And I'm not putting words in your mouth here. Dan's smiling because I think he thinks that's what I'm doing. But I'm, you know, it's, uh, but I am, I'm curious to know, like, is that, you know, is it more about, um, is it more about, hey, if we have a platform company and we got somewhere we can put them, then great. And if not, then maybe we, we should wait and go more for like what you said at A-plus. We should maybe look at doing a platform company first. Absolutely, Ani. I mean, if, if we're looking at a new market, new territory where we don't have the infrastructure or, or a platform to support that acquisition, we don't want to go into to a new a new market with a with a smaller business. We want to, you know, our strategy has always for new markets to find a, a regional player that's got great brand equity, that that's got a history, that it is a self sustaining business that we can, uh, you know, that we can make better. Um, but, but at a minimum that kind of stands on, on its own and, um, and, and sets us up for the future for, for additional bolt-on acquisition. So if we were to go as an example, if we were to go in, into, um, I'm just making it up. If we were to go into Seattle, which for us would be a, a, a new entry um, altogether, you know, we would look for a certain size threshold uh, uh, to be able to, to enter that market and, uh, um, and, and it would it wouldn't be a small it wouldn't it likely would not be a smaller transaction. Gotcha. The reason I laugh is because I field all these phone calls all day, like you probably do, Sebastian, of people of, of people who um, um, uh, you know who who call me up who are doing a half a million dollars taking a phone call probably about a year and a half after the Steritech acquisition, you know, and uh, which was a, you know, hundred, multi-hundred million dollar deal. And uh, I think at the time the multiple was a 2.8 or 3.0 on revenue. And, you know, I always check expectations for this half a million dollar company. And this guy said, well, Steritech sold for a three multiple two years ago with inflation. I'm thinking I'm four and a half, five. And I'm like, uh, all right, conversation over. Right. So it, it's all about expectations, uh, you know, that kind of thing. But how about how about, uh, um, you know, the, the, the business mix, commercial, residential, WD, does, does that matter? Or as long as it's just a good business, um, you know, is that what you're interested in? Yeah, we'll, we'll look at it all. I don't I don't think it's, you know, obviously, um, you know, Commercial, for instance, for us is, has been a focus. Um, we are in the U.S. We're predominantly a residential business. Some platforms doing more more commercial than others. But for instance, when you start to think of our smart technology and us, 
you know, starting to pick up steam and rolling that out, you know, there's, there's some interesting synergies uh, and opportunities that could come from picking up a, a commercial portfolio or maybe our, you know, it's right for our smart technology. Um, but to get back to the, to the question, you know, I don't, I, I don't think there's a desirable business mix. I would tell you that, you know, going forward, we're not looking to get out of the box in terms of pest control being our, our kind of predominant uh, uh, business service. And what I mean by that is, you know, we're not looking for our mix to go from, you know, I'm making this up, 90 pests, 10 lawn to, to 90 lawn, 10 pests if that makes sense. So we're kind of looking for more of the same. If there's ancillary business services that are profitable, that kind of fit into the business and, and make sense, then then that we don't shy away from that um, at all. So let's switch gears and talk about, um, We've got a deal with you. We're all set, and uh, I, I, I sell you my company. You send me my check, and uh, what happens day one? What, what's the integration process look like? How does that work? Yeah. Um, so I would say integration is probably the most challenging aspect of a deal. Um, you know, we spend a lot of time thinking about our integration playbook. How do we how do we improve? How do we evolve? How do we just get better with, with each and every deal? And for us, where, where I think we, we're, we're, we're a bit differentiated is we tend not to have a cookie cutter approach or, or a one size fits all. Every deal that we do, our integration approach is tailor made to that, to that target. Sure, there's, there's a lot that happens in the background that's repetitive. But there's a lot of, you know, front facing in terms of the employees, the customer base, um, you know, when are we going to, you know, what are we going to do with the branding, you know, those kind of decisions that are customer facing that, you know, we spend a lot of time thinking about those and, and uh, it's, it's very different deal to deal. Um, and so the most interesting part of deal for us and, and, you know, I would tell this to you, Dan, and, and, and owners that, that we're dealing with is understanding where, where the value of, of the business is and ensuring that we're able to sustain that going forward and also understand where are there gaps so that we can, we can capture additional upside on the transaction. Um, the other thing I would mention is that before we do any deal, we recognize that this industry is a people business. As I said earlier, it's not just about buying a customer list. Um, we know there's, there's uh, in terms of the people, there's, there's significant equity in the business. And so while the customer list um, is what hits the P&L, we know that without the people, you know, we, 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 can't, we can't drive the business going forward. So as I mentioned earlier, we put a lot of emphasis on understanding the organization, the people, and ensuring we're able to position the the integration in a way that best positions us to retain the employee base and the customer base going forward for us those two retention mechanisms are if if we can be successful in retaining the employee and the customer base everything else will fall into place would you say that's the biggest factor that brings value to the seller in terms of their business is 
I mean, obviously there's the book of business, but there's also the team. Um, and I'm not going to pitch this question such that it's mutually exclusive because I don't think you could. But but would you say that that is probably the most valuable part of the business is the team and kind of going forward what that looks like? I mean, because I, I would imagine, I mean, obviously the, the goal of an acquisition is that you're buying a revenue stream and you want to eliminate as many and this is Donnie, by the way, I'm not an acquirer and, and I'm certainly not in some MA, you know, I'm not I'm not going I'm not actively out in the market looking for things. But I would I would imagine if I were sitting in that seat, I would be like, okay, I'm buying a revenue stream and I want to make sure that what I'm buying is legit and that it's gonna sustain itself and that what I'm buying is what I think I'm buying. Um would there I mean, would you say that the team is probably the most important part? Of what you're purchasing, especially, I guess, you know, for a platform company, more so than maybe a tuck-in. Yeah, yeah. I mean, and that's a good distinction, Donnie. I mean, not that one matters over the other, but you know, when you do look at a platform, and like I said earlier, we don't have the infrastructure in that market to support the acquisition. Um, the team and the organization, middle management, if the owner is going to be departing, you know, all those things play a critical component to our diligence and how do we structure the deal and incentivize people and, you know, keep, keep the lights on to, as you said, uh, maintain the revenue stream. And, and not only that, continue to grow the revenue stream, right? We're not buying acquisitions to just uh, st stay where they are. We're, we're looking to grow these things and, and take them to the next level. So again, the people, the people aspect for us is very important. We spend, an enormous amount of time understanding the organization, how it's structured, um, and and who you know who who do we need to to keep to to keep it going. On the boltons, it's 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 more of the same, but as you can imagine, um, there, there are overlaps sometimes, and and so you know there you know whether we're top grading our people or you know trying to reposition certain folks in an acquisition that are are, are either redundant or um, we could use in other aspects of our platform. Um, at the end of the day, we're looking to keep as many individuals as possible on board. Um, and, and, and I think that's a, that's a big differentiator for us. So in just to, to switch gears, you know, we, we work with, uh, you know, all the, all the buyers out there, and uh, we've done quite a few deals with you guys. And uh, what makes your process different from the others? Um, more specifically, so you know, you've got other strategics out there, but you've also got these private equity guys who uh, have, you know, really kind of kicked the tires over the past couple of years. But several of them have entered, and there's a couple of them that are doing quite well. What what's your uh, differentiator in terms of your process to to um, to source a deal, to uh, make an offer on a deal, and to get a deal done. I should put that one back to you, Dan. You know, you know better than I do what everyone else is doing. <laughs> <laughs> so I figured I'd throw it out of you. Uh, uh, <laughs> uh, I, I mean, I, I can only talk Is that your about final it. answer. <laughs> <laughs> it should be. Um, no, look, let me, let me, uh, I'll speak to kind of what we're doing and, and kind of what RMO is and, and how we position, position ourselves and, um, which, uh, which I think may, may or may not be differentiated, but, um, listen, we've done a lot of transactions. And so 
over time, I think we, like I said earlier, we're always looking to get better, be more efficient, strive to make our process as pain, as painless as possible. And what that means is I think we've developed a, you know, LOI to closing process where we're fairly streamlined, where the objective is not necessarily to look under every rock and try to, you know, find these I gotcha moments in due diligence, but rather to focus on what's most important in, you know, in, in the business, what, what's the good, you know, what are the gaps that we need to be careful about going forward in the integration? And so that's kind of, um, that, that's kind of been our process and how we've evolved and tried to get in and out of deals um, in the most efficient way as possible and also allow the owners to, you know, focus on the business, right? Because uh, it's not like they can hit the pause button, focus on our deal, and then come back to the business two months later. They've got a business to run. Um, and so we try to we try to be as practical as possible. Um, don't get me wrong, Dan, you and you know this, we're not perfect. We we make mistakes on every transaction, but we try not to make the same mistake twice and we we try to keep things moving and, and keep learning. What differentiates us, if if I were to kind of put a, a finger on it, I think is our decentralized model. And and we can get into that if you guys like later on in the discussion. But what that means is my team, the M&A team here in North America, is able to make decisions throughout the life cycle of a transaction where we don't have to necessarily go back to corporate or Sweden on every, on every decision, on every corner of the deal. We're able to move pretty swiftly and quickly um, and be at the forefront of those decisions. The other thing, and, and Dan, I think you could attest to this, we we always do what we what we say we're going to do and we take that we take great great pride in that um and so i think we have good track record with owners in terms of building good relationships and being fair with them down the stretch throughout a deal and post closing as well where you know we try not to get stuck in the mud on issues we try to you know get on the phone and talk through them and and keep things moving and and try as best as possible to break through the ice when things do get a big challenging, whether that's in diligence or in deal negotiation on the documents, I think we've got a, a pretty fair approach there. So let's, we're, we're getting close on time here and I do want to spend a little bit of time on this. Let's talk about this Terminex run and kill deal. And, and I'm just curious, Sebastian, for you, what do you think this means for the industry? And, and I think probably a lot of our listeners are going to, want to know well, what does this mean for valuations and really just want to get your perspective on the deal uh, as far as from an industry perspective as well as from valuations just want to hear your thoughts on that yeah so listen i think um it, it's obviously uh you know now with with it passing with the regulators i think it's more more real than ever i think there's a, a clear path now i think there's a few things that they're working on um to, to get it done um, but it's, it's absolutely a, a transformational deal, maybe a, a once in a lifetime deal for us, uh, in, in the industry, given the, the size of it and, and the impact that it's going to have. Um, I think for Renekill, you know, we'll, we'll see what that means in terms of their acquisitions going forward. I imagine they're, they may be a more, a bit more selective and what they look like as they're focused on 
the integration of the transaction. I know that, you know, they've published a ton of synergies and that, that they're going to have to go, go find and get. I imagine there's some, some cleanup on the Terminex side of the house that, that they'll be focused on. And so when you think of the consolidation of the people and the branches and, and everything that they've got to cut through, um, I think they're going to be, be busy at work. Um, but listen, I think it was, a. Uh, on paper, it, it looks like a decent deal, and uh, um, you know, I I I I, I think overall, it's uh, it, it's going to be um, it's going to be tremendous for what it does impact wise for their business here in the U.S. We didn't get to valuations though, so let's, let's finish that. Say, we'll take it forever on valuations. <laughs> I'm not letting you off the hook that easy. <laughs> <laughs> If you want to give us the sign, you can. Yeah. We can move on. <laughs> By the no, way, the only with the sign is it's the middle finger. So we're, we're on camera. Everyone can't see it, but I haven't got the sign yet. So we'll, we'll keep pressing. <laughs> uh, that's that's great. Um, no, nah, listen, I think, uh, you know, the, the valuation, right? I mean, when you look at, I don't know what what kind of impact it's going to have on on valuations going forward, if any, I mean, I think that deal is kind of in a league of its own versus kind of what we, what we look at day in, day out here in the, in the independent market. But, you know, from my perspective, um, I think it, like I said, I think it was a decent deal, um, in terms of what they're getting and, and what they paid. Um, you know, but I would say that the verdict is still out, right? Because there's a lot of work, um, that they're going to have to, get through uh in order to really get a great a great return on the investment and so we'll we'll have to see how that goes and what they're able to extract out of it but on the surface i think it was a it was a decent deal for for Renico. yeah hey uh i do have a a question for you that i gotta ask you uh other than working with lawyers what is the hardest part of an m a transaction Donnie just fell on it on the ground laughing, and oh, I see Sebastian uh, uh, smile. Oh my gosh! Um, yes. It, uh, well, if you want to include working with lawyers, you can. But no, <laughs> what's the most episode. difficult part? <laughs> no, nah, definitely, Dan. Negotiating with you uh, be, beats the mark on the lawyers. Um, but 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 I, I I don't know if it's the hardest I'm or the most. Right. Wear that as a badge of honor. <laughs> <laughs> now, all, all, all jokes aside, I go back to, to me, it's the integration, right? I think that's really where you can, um, you, you can really make a great return or, or you can just burn a lot of equity uh, value that, that you've just uh, invested in. So uh, integrations are hard. Um, they are, you know, there's a lot of things that go on in the background in terms of, you know, the back end stuff systems, but the people side of it is hard. Um, there's hard decisions that have to be made um, in, in those first 12 months. And so uh, finding the right balance and, and like I said earlier, uh, not, not having a hard committed playbook to every deal, getting away from that and, and being flexible and nimble and, and truly understanding what you're buying and how it best fits into our, one of our platforms or whether it's a new platform, I think having a pulse on each acquisition and, and, and being able to make those, those tailor made approaches. Um, I, I think it, it requires you to be on every acquisition and, and really think about it differently, deal to deal. And what's the easiest? 
uh, negotiating with, no, I'm kidding. Um, <laughs> I, I, I don't know. I mean, every deal is so different, you know, it, it, it's hard to pinpoint one thing. Um, I, you know, deal to deal. It's, it's hard to say with consistency that this one thing is it's what's easiest. I think again, um, uh, you, you, you know, you've, you just got to going from one deal to the next, you got to kind of just take your, your hat off from the previous deal, put a new one on and, 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 uh, and approach it that way to be able to, you know, um, navigate each deal as it, as it needs to be and not having one, one cookie cutter approach. Funny. What, wow. One of the, uh, the deals right at, right at the end of the year. So Sebastian and I worked on a couple of deals that closed right at the end of the year. And uh, I was out of breath. I was all done and going into the new year. And we had another deal that we were working on. And uh, Sebastian and his team called me and, you know, they're all ready and they're, they're you know, the intensity is just as great. And I'm like, whoa, 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 let's, <laughs> I just, I, you know, it, it's hard. It's very hard what these guys do. And I know that we handle quite a few deals, but they handle a whole lot more than we do at any one time. There's a lot of juggling. So uh, you guys do a terrific job. So uh, yeah. yeah, appreciate appreciate Dan. You guys too. And, and listen, I agree with you. I think juggling multiple deals and having that intensity deal to deal. Yeah, that 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 may be the 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 hardest part as as you uh, as you have a full suite of of deals to go through at, at a given time. I have to believe that in addition to a finance degree and MBA, like there also should be something in there with psychology and, and therapy, because I, I've, done, I've been a part of many deals and it seems like psychology plays a big part. <laughs> and I'm not talking about negotiating. I'm talking about just basic things. Sometimes it's easy for, especially once attorneys get involved, because then all of a sudden little bitty things that any given day would be like no big deal. But since it's in the context of a deal, all of a sudden it's like it's a showstopper or whatever. It's just Listen, crazy. When you're when you're dealing with owners, right? It's when, when I sell my car, my car doesn't change its mind about certain things, right? The owners right. change their mind midstream. There's all kinds of, you know, one day it's this, the next day it's that. And then I've got to craft a, a narrative back to the, to, you know, to the buyer and this is why, and no, it's, it's not easy at all. It's, it's, it's very difficult. So, yeah. you know, but, uh, so it's, it's all good. So, um, well, so anyway, do you want to give a shout out to uh, the graduate school that you went to? I mean, wasn't there a big basketball game? Uh, that, uh... Uh, where did you go, Sebastian? Yeah, I w w wish the last season for uh, for Coach K could could have been better, but uh, but yeah, I went to Duke, and uh, I will say I always root for my Hokies before uh, if they're playing the uh, the Blue Devils. I stay loyal, stay loyal to the undergrad. <laughs> oh, I love it. I love it. Well, Sebastian, thank you so much for coming on. And this has been a fantastic conversation. And I think our listeners will get a lot from just hearing your perspective and kind of how the mechanics work, as well as some things to look out for and some things to, and really, you know, some expectations as well. Uh, Dan, anything you want to add before we close out here? No, I think this has been terrific. And just thanks so much for coming on. Really appreciate it. And uh, hopefully we, uh, you know, continue a very strong relationship and uh, keep things going. Yeah, yeah, my, my pleasure, guys. Really appreciate you guys having me on. And um, we'll uh, we'll talk soon. All, All right. right. That sounds great. Well, right. folks, there you got it.
you managed to spend another 40 minutes with Dan and I, and this time with Sebastian, we actually wrangled him into coming on board. We always appreciate any reviews, ratings that you can provide. Uh, we love to help other people and other folks know about the podcast. So please do that. And with that, we're signing off. We'll see you all next time. Take care.